This is Mike Bartolomeo, pastor of Church for the Harvest in Alexandria, Minnesota. The Bible is the Word of God. Within its pages are revealed God's perfect will and plan for mankind, the answers to life's hardest questions, and instructions on how to live a victorious Christian life. I believe the following message can change your life if you will let it. Join us now as we share the Word of God today. Christmas candlelight communion service. We want to talk about victory in life. When I think of what uh, uh, the birth of Christ, if I could summarize it in one word, I would say the word victory. Can we shout that out? Say victory. Victory. It's victory. That's what it means. The birth of Christ is about the power of God. It's about the power of God in operation. I love this verse in the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. We're just going to take a moment here and read through that. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be called, and in each of these names, if you just study them, are very powerful. Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Actually, mighty means hero. How many know our God's a hero? Amen? He's a hero. Hero God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And it says this, the increase, increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. My brothers and sisters, Satan will not defeat God. His kingdom will rule. It is an eternal kingdom. An order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. Even forever. And it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So when I talk about what does the birth of Jesus mean to you. You, you know you might respond at salvation. Deliverance. Freedom. Healing. Blessings. And those all encompass the birth of Christ. Amen. However, one thing that I think for all of us, going back to my title of my message here, that we gain the ultimate victory because of the birth of Christ. The birth of Christ. And I'll explain that. Jesus was born 2,000 years ago to end Satan's rule over mankind. But here's the thing. The Christmas story, and we talk about it, doesn't start in the town of Bethlehem. It actually begins in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles or tablets, you can turn to Genesis 1.28. Genesis 1.28. And after God created Adam, he placed him in the Garden of Eden, where the Bible says he walked and he talked. Say that to me. Say walk, talk. Hear me. From the beginning, God wants a relationship with every man, woman, person on this earth. He walked and he talked with them. He wasn't aloof. He wasn't distant. He wasn't trying to hide himself. Okay? He was there. He, that was his heart. But man sinned. And because of that, uh, the fall took place. Genesis 2.19, the Bible says, God brought every animal and bird to Adam to see what he would call them. Adam was brilliant. Adam was super, superhuman, you could almost say. He named all of the animals. I mean, the book of zoology is this thick. He, could, he named all of them. So God said, you're the one. You, you make decision. You call it what you want. Um, and then in Genesis 1.28, it said this, God gave Adam dominion. Dominion, underline that word, highlight it over every creature. Dominion. You know, the Hebrew word is radah. It is a royal word, a royal word. It is the dominating rule of a king. It's not a worm mentality. And you know, I meet many Christians say they just have a, a worm mentality, a mindset that I'm just woe is me. I'm just no one. I'm just very insignificant. What, who am I? What can I do? I'm just kind of, you know, scabbing, you know, a life existence, scratching out a li- existence. No. The Bible says that 
God told Adam to, to rule, to reign, to take dominion. It means to subjugate. It means to actually take dominion. Now, I want you to notice the type of rule and dominion that God does not want. Very interesting passage here in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 4. The Lord says, he says, speaking, actually, uh, in a tirade against Israel's kings, God says through the prophet, and then he speaks this. He says, you have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strayed. Found that's an interesting verse right there, uh, a statement. You have not sought the lost, but the force, but, but with force and harshness, you have ruled them. And what is this saying? This is saying that the type, hear me, of dominion that God desires is ones that promotes help for the defenseless. Can I get an Amen. Gives justice to the oppressed, amen, to proclaim the good news to all people. In other words, to fight against everything on earth that leads to death. That's what it means to take dominion. We're not fighting against flesh and blood, okay? We're fighting against spiritual principalities and powers that rule over the darkness of men's minds in their hearts. That's the type of dominion that God is looking for, and that is what he's called Church for the Harvest to do, to take dominion. And we are going to take dominion. We have taken dominion and we'll continue to take dominion. And there's more things that we are to take dominion over. Amen? I mean, otherwise, are you satisfied of the status quo? Okay, I don't think so. God has so much more. Amen? So let's just rewind back to the garden. Scripture says that Satan, he deceived Eve, you know, impersonating through the serpent, Adam's sin. And what happens, they got cut off. They were separated from their loving, heavenly father that they had a relationship with. And Satan thought he won a victory. And actually, at that time, you'd have thought, yes, he did win. And that in his heart and desire, the Satan's, was that man would never connect with God again. Not, you know, not to commune with God. He didn't want that. He hated that. And so he cut that off. And then if you read in Genesis chapter 3, this is another verse, very powerful verse. Genesis 3, 15, we talk about how the birth of Christ really start in the proclamation of it in the beginning. It's in this verse. They, they actually title this verse, they call it the Proto-Evangelum. It means the first gospel presentation is actually what it means. Let's read. It says, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, a separation between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now I want you to get this last part. This is from the beginning, right after the fall. He said, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That is a prophetic picture 4,000 years later as the babe of Bethlehem is born. It was prophesied right at the beginning that God said, you know what, I don't like the way things have turned out, but you know what, I'm going to send my son. He's going to crush your head. And actually to bruise actually means to strike. So yes, that's what we see about the cross. How many of you know Christ was smitten? He was bruised for our iniquities on the cross. But Jesus crushed the head of Satan. I want to be very clear of that. Satan is defeated. Can I get an amen? And he's defeated. And he's called us to. He's called us to uh, uh, defeat the enemy. And we'll get into that in a moment. First John 3, 8 says this. The one practicing sin is of the devil. Now, let me just stop right here. So I highlighted that. I thought, I better explain some people here. Some of you, you know, you love the Lord. You've accepted Christ in your life. And, and you know, at times you go, I sin. There was a, a Russian pastor 
Uh, he was actually Ukrainian, and his name was Yuri, and we were in Odessa. Dear man, him and his wife, and, and, he, and he came up to me, and he told me, he says, you know, I need to quit the ministry. I said, why is that? And he had a church. We helped start a church there. There was already 200 people that showed up. And he goes, because I still sin. I said, brother, as long as you're breathing, you're going to struggle with the flesh. And he just could not grasp that. He said, but the Bible says if I, if I sin, then I'm of the devil. And so eventually he actually left the ministry. And he went and sold tea and a little cart on the street because he just felt that. I mean, how many know that, that that's a lie from the enemy? And just he just couldn't g- gain victory over that. It means to practice sin. Practicing means it's a habit. And people that sin, you know, they're in a habit of sinning. They don't know the Lord. They're not regenerated in their spirit. It's just what they do. We can't get mad at sinners. You know, look at those sinners. That's what they do. They do that day in, day out. Why? It's because of their nature. They They have not had, excuse me, a transformation of their spirit man or their spirit woman that God freely gives as a gift. And he says, for this reason, from the beginning, the Son of God was revealed so that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Christ came. Can I get an amen? So through Jesus' birth, death, resurrection, he, say, he ended Satan's rule over every person who would simply believe on him as Savior and repent. Can we just say that word? I know it's not a very popular word right now in the church, but let's just say it. Repent. It's in the Bible. Okay, it's not done away with, okay? Repentance is still, you know, the, actually the Greek word repent means metanoia. It means to turn from evil to God. It actually means a change of mind. And watch this, it actually entails, and this is not popular in the teaching of the body of Christ today, you ready? Regret and remorse for sin. You remember those times? Come on now, <laughs> regret and remorse for sin. That's godly sorrow the Bible talks about. Godly sorrow. Here's the thing. So how do I get that? I mean, I believe in God, but I just don't feel that. I don't have that release. Confession of your sins leads to repentance. Let me say that again. Confession of your sins leads to repentance. Every day when I wake up, I just said, Lord, wash me, cleanse me. Purify my mind and my heart. Create in me, as David cried out, a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence. And no one, I, I will not be, but you know, this is David quoting it. And, and, and restore to me the joy of my salvation. And so I pray that every day. I just ask the Lord to wash me. Some of you may have gone through months, haven't even spent the time to go, you know what? Yeah, I just felt really bad about that. And it weighs heavy on you. And you need to speak that out and say, Lord, I just, I ask that you forgive me for that. And receive his forgiveness. I said, receive his forgiveness. Amen. And so it leads to repentance when we confess our sins. And salvation is a free gift. But here's the thing. It's a costly gift. It was free. It's free. Salvation is free to you and I. Amen. But it was costly. You know, some of you heard me tell the story. It's a great illustration I heard years ago about uh, the school of the blind and uh, talking about this, the cost to, to, to salvation. And, you know, nowadays what we do is we just tell people when we meet them, God loves you. Now, how many know that's true? You were pretty reluctant on that one there. <laughs> I hope you're not too tired. When you tell that to someone that God loves them, how many know that's truth? That's truth. That's truth. He loves them. It was, a, was an unconditional love, but what's the condition for heaven? Is there any conditions for heaven? Is he just love everyone? Everyone's going to make it? No, there is a condition, and it's repentance. 
It's to receive Christ in your life. It's to, to invite him in, to make him Lord of your life. And then now you live your life in light of that. Well, I tell the story about the motorcycle that's kids on this crotch rocket. And he's racing through a town. And he goes through the school of the blind area where it said, you know, 10 miles an hour. Lights were flashing. And he went flying through there at 90 miles an hour. So the cop pulls him over. And first scenario is the cop goes up to him, pulls him over. The kid's upset. And he's like, what's the deal with this? And the cop rolls, you know, he rolls down the window. And the cop goes, I just want to tell you, you're forgiven. You're good to go. How many of that really makes sense to that kid? He's going to go, this cop's loony. He's going to take off and go. He goes, I don't know why. You know, because why? there's no magnitude. There's no understanding of what he did that was wrong. Second scenario. Kid comes flying through the school of the blind, 90 miles an hour. The cop pulls him over and says, step out of the car. Put your hands in the hood. Where's your license? What pocket? <clears throat> Do you have any weapons on you? No. Spread your feet. Why are you putting handcuffs on me? Because you went through 90 miles an hour. The school of the blind. The signs were there. See them right there? You just flew past that. You could have killed a child. I mean, this was a dangerous uh, 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 place for, with children. And you're, you're reckless. What, but, but, but tell it to the judge. Next thing, he's before the judge. And the judge says, you know what? You went through speeding. You're going to spend 90 days in jail starting today. You also have a $10,000 fine, and you need to do 100 hours of community service to, to, you know, to show that you have you know, good faith that you're going to change your ways. Immediately, how many know in that moment, this kid who doesn't have $10,000 and doesn't want to go to jail for 90 days, he's kind of feeling the pressure of what's happening. As the, you know, the, the police officers come, they handcuff him, and they're ready to haul him out. But at that moment where they're ready to take him to jail, that son's father steps up. And he says, Judge, I am the father of this son. Yes, he has done wrong, and there is a penalty. But you know what? I'm going to pay the penalty, the $10,000. And, and, and your honor, I'm going to go to prison on behalf of my son. Can I do that? I will spend the 90 days in prison and do the community service. Now, when that son hears of God loves you, how do you know that that's a different understanding when you understand that God loves you and what he saved you from? Can, can do you see that? Do you follow that? How many of you know that that kid now, his mindset is totally different. Whenever he hears anything about the grace of God and the goodness of God and repentance, forgiveness, gratitude is in his heart. Gratitude, a response, worship is in his heart. Because why? They know how much they have been saved from. Am I speaking to anybody in here? Am I talking to anybody? How, and, and you know someone that's an authentic believer, and they may struggle with things, but they, they have this, 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 this sorrow of heart in a sense. It's not sorrow upon sorrow, but it's a sorrow of heart to know, grieve that, God, you're so good. I could have been cast away. I could have been, my life would have been an eternity in hell. Some of you should have been dead by now. Car accident, some, some crazy, some, some of you should have been dead. But God spared you. He spared you. Why? Because he wants, he wants Christ. He wants Christ to, to be Lord of your life. And, but you have to receive him. You have to accept him in your life. And so, so in that moment, the response when you hear what the Father has done for the Son is gratitude. Amen? It's thankfulness. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. <clears throat> That's why the babe of Bethlehem, that he came and he was born. That we would experience, hear me, victory 
over life's circumstances. You know how many know people, they deal with difficult things all the time, difficult situations. There's people that are dealing with problems in their family and jobs and finances. Many people suffered horrible tragedies and they're confronted with many health issues right now and just all of this stuff that they're faced with all of the time in their lives. But the good news is this. The good news from the Christmas story is that Jesus can help us with all of these problems. Amen? He can help us. He lived as a man to show us that we can overcome, hear me, anything and live victoriously in this life. Let me just show you. This verse here says this, I came that they may have and enjoy life. God didn't come for you to be miserable. There are times of suffering, right? There are times of difficulty. That's just part of life. But the heart of God from the beginning is that you would have life and enjoy life and have it in abundance and it just doesn't end there. Till the full, till it overflows. You know, especially when, when we start, you know, my, my daughter's here and our friend, uh, both from the Marine Corps, Jake, he's in 2-7 in the Marines, my daughter in San Diego there and uh, uh, just seeing her at the airport and then seeing these guys and they show up and, and my heart was like full, but it was full of joy. It was good to, to see them. How, how many know what I'm saying, you know? But there's so much more when we talk about the overflow about Christ in our life. Hey man, there's so much more, so much more. Hallelujah. Because of Jesus, our needs are met spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally. Jesus legally, watch this, defeated Satan. He legally defeated Satan. He said, well, pastor, look at the world. Look what's going on in the world. Look at all the crazy stuff that's going on. I mean, God really in control? Because if he is, he's really screwing stuff up. Because this place is crazy. I would agree. But here's the thing. Jesus, how many of you know we have police officers, some tend to church here, we have good cops, and uh, you, you know, how many of you know that even though there's laws in the books in City Hall here and in the county, don't do certain things, do speed limits, how many of you know that unless you have someone to enforce it, it's not going to happen? Isn't that right? I've heard people say, oh, this road, the cops are never here, so they just speed. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Because why? This, you know, yeah, we just break the law. But you see, when you see those sirens and that light, all of a sudden you start going, where's my wallet? Oh, no, it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. And it does. It does. How many with me say amen? You still love me this morning? Yeah. All right. And so, so it was costly. Jesus legally defeated Satan. But we are her, his enforcement agency. We're the ones to enforce that victory of Calvary. How do we do that? By praying, by worshiping, by preaching and teaching the word, by evangelizing, by doing missions and supporting missions and building the kingdom of God, by training our children in our Sunday school, amen, in our junior high, in our high school, in the youth ministry. That's what it means. That's what it means all to take dominion, to be the enforcers of that victory. Matthew 1, 23, Jesus is called Emmanuel, which means God with us. How many know that we are not destitute? The Lord is still with us always, forever. Hebrews 13, 5 says, the name of God is El Shaddai, the God who is more than enough. Thank God for that. God is more than enough. And it means he's with, he's with us. He promised that. So as I conclude here, the Christmas story is not just about a stable, baby in a manger, shepherds and wise men. The Christmas story, if I could summarize it, is about the power of God, the dunamis of God. God coming into this earth as a man without sin, 
And that's a miracle. That's an impossibility. That's an impossible statement right there. It doesn't happen just naturally. But a miracle took place. Jesus Christ came. Victory. Victory was won 2,000 years ago. And here's the thing. That victory is still available today. I said that victory is still available today. I love a couple of these verses here. I'm just going to read through them really quickly. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks God for the victory. Now thanks be to God always, who always leads us triumph in Christ. That's the heart of God. Can I get an amen? And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not just a conqueror, but more than. First John says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Right there, it's telling, what is that victory? It's our faith. It's your faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the answer right there. Amen? So in conclusion, this Christmas story is about the ultimate story. The ultimate story. It's, it's, the word ultimate means it's the best. There isn't any story any better when you think about life and eternity and you live. And I, I think about that with eternity. It just goes on forever and ever. You know, there's a real hell to shun and a heaven to gain. Amen? Stand with me if you would, please. Once again, the birth of Jesus is an impossible story that was made possible by the power of God. And that same God, the Christmas story that we read about, is here with us this morning. I said he's here. Jesus the Christ is here this morning. I believe that. If we could see in the realm of the spirit, which we cannot, we just see in this three dimension. In the fourth dimension, there's, a, there's angels, I believe, all around here. <laughs> and, and, and as we proclaim, and they're, they're leading in. Can't see this. Like, wow, he's got imagination. You better believe I do. Because when you get to heaven, you go, Pastor Mike was right. <laughs> we just kind of like, yeah, well, I just see flags around here. God is here. He's here. He's looking in upon each and every one of us. He cares about us. He loves us. And, and, and he, he's provided salvation. But you, you need to be transformed in your soul. And so for those of you that are believers, just take a moment. Just, just pray under your breath right here now. And, and, and those that are maybe listening by television. And, or you're here in our midst and you've not made that transformation in your life. You don't, you're not, you don't have the assurance of salvation. Let me just share something briefly as an illustration. The Bible says that we are to repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. That comes to that place of recognition. I'm in need. I am a sinner. I was that kid in that crotch rocket that was flying through the school of the blind. I should have gone to jail. I should have paid the fine. I should have. I should have. I should have. But my father, the heavenly father, stepped forward and provided salvation. He provided a way of escape for me. He's provided a way of escape for you and I. See, everyone that goes to hell, they go to hell because they want to. Nobody's going to show up there and go, I'm surprised. They go to hell because they want to. You say, how could anyone think that? By rejecting this message, by rejecting the gospel, by rejecting the truth of Christ, by just, you know, no decision is, is a decision. When you don't, you just kind of, you know, just like, well, whatever, I don't know, I don't know. Here's the thing. Salvation is God's lifeboat for your soul and your spirit. I'll conclude with this here illustration and uh, we're going to receive communion here in a moment, but I thank you for your attentiveness. <clears throat> Some of you have heard the illustration about the stewardess that's on the plane, and 
she walks up to, to one of these guys and he's just sitting there and planes full and people are laughing and kind of yakking and, and she sticks this parachute on this, this guy and she says, here, take this, put it on, it'll improve your flight. So he goes, okay. He sticks it on and straps it in, but it's, it's huge, it's bulky, you know, there's not much room on those planes as it is, right? And it's hitting his neighbors, he's sitting in the middle seat and it's frustrating and and then people start laughing at him, stop mocking him. Like, look at you, you're like an idiot with that thing on. What are you doing? You know, you goofball. And then the stewardess comes by. She accidentally spills maybe some coffee and it hits him in the lap. It burns him. And he's just so frustrated. He says, you said this would improve my flight. You said that this would make my life so much better. And this is ridiculous. So in frustration, he takes it off and he just throws it down in the aisle and sits there and everyone just kind of turns away from him. Second scenario. Stewardess goes up to this man and says, Sir, you need to put this parachute on because when this plane hits 25,000 feet, both of the engines are going out. This plane is going down. You need this for the jump. Now, paint that same scenario when people start laughing at him. Saying you, who do you think you are? Some, what, is, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to cling to that parachute. Why? There's a jump coming. I said, there's a jump coming. Are you listening? There's a jump coming for all of us, and that's eternal life. That jump. Are you ready for the jump? Every head bowed, please. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're here this morning. He said, Pastor, I, I'm not ready for the jump, but I want to be ready for the jump. I want to be ready for the jump. You simply, what you do is you, you invite Christ in your life. You have the authority to do that. God will not force himself on you. Some of you may be backslid. You're away from God. You're not right with him. This is a great day. The Bible says now is the time. Today is the day for you to get right. Galatians 6. Today is the day. Today is the day. You're here this morning and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get right with the Lord. Can we in unison pray the sinner's prayer? What you're doing is you're inviting Christ in and you're making him Lord of your life. If you would like to do that, join with me this morning. Say this to me. Say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Forgive me. Heal me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I give you my life. Now take it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today in the ministry of God's Word. My prayer today is that you will experience a new revelation of who Christ is in you. Feel free to make as many copies of this message as you like. For more information about Church for the Harvest scheduled ministry times and meeting place, please visit us at churchfortheharvest.com or contact the church office at 320-759-1400. At Church for the Harvest, you belong.